1: The ZDX has track-tested
2: performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.
1: Hello, you are listening to the China Sports Insider Podcast. I am Haig Balian, and I am with... Mark Dreyer, you know him as the author of Sporting Superpower, you should get it. Mark, how are you? (laughs) I'm very well, I'm very well. Today, we are going to talk to a member, another member of Kunlun Red Star, a former member, uh, Greg Squires. If you listened last week, and you really should, we talked to Rudy Ying, and I think it's fair to say that 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 interview is explosive. Have you had any reaction to that interview yet, uh, Mark?
2: Yeah, it was, uh, it was a lot of fun to talk to Rudy. Um, if you didn't listen to him, please go and do that. It's, it's, uh, it's looking like it's going to be one of our most listened uh, podcasts ever, actually. I, he was just so honest about himself, about his teammates, about the whole system. Um, yeah, a lot of people reached out, actually, and said uh, how it was. Actually, I, one guy, actually, <laughs> a long-time listener, said he loved it so much, he listened to the whole thing twice. Wow, wow. <laughs> Wow! Yeah, so it was uh, it was fun, and uh, he talked a lot about the heritage players, as he said, and and uh, you know, Greg Squires, one of those heritage players, coming up for you later in the show today.
1: I would deign to say equally explosive.
2: Yeah, I, a lot of a lot of a uh, lot of fun. I think so. <laughs> I,
1: I, also fun. I, I think it was a really fun interview. Before we get to Greg, though, we have one major story to talk about, and that's this ESPN article about Brooklyn Nets owner Joe Tsai. And and that's raising some eyebrows. It came out last week. Uh, Tsai is a Taiwanese-Canadian owner of the Brooklyn Nets of the NBA. He's the executive vice chairman of Alibaba, and he is very, very wealthy. When he bought the Nets in, I think, 2019, uh, the NBA thought he'd be this important connection to the world's largest market. Instead, things went a little sour. Uh, you might remember that during the I think it was the basketball world championships that were here in China, Darrell Morey, who was the general manager of the uh, Houston Rockets, he tweeted in support of Hong Kong demonstrators, and barely hung on to his job after that. The piece uh, really examines Tsai's record and outlook on China, and it's about the NBA's uneasy association with somebody who is pretty closely associated with uh, with the policies and the government of the government of China. So after all that stuff happened in uh, during the World Championships, uh, the, the NBA was booted off all television here uh, in China for quite a long time, and it just recently
2: has come back. That's right. It's been an incredibly rocky road for the NBA. And the NBA previously, for people who don't know, were, was always held up as the gold standard of a sports league expanding into China, going back to uh, David Stern's time in, in the 80s when he kind of uh, came and camped out uh, at CCTV to get his tapes on the air. Um, yeah, there's it's it's pretty good history there. So this was October 2019 when that Daryl Morey tweet first blew up here. And it was a whole year before the NBA games were back on CCTV. They only then played two playoff games. And then they were back off again for pretty much a further 18 months so two and a half years and then just in the last few weeks we've had a few games coming on it's a funny story I'll tell you in a sec a theory about why that might be I spoke to people from both the NBA and from CCTV and they actually after the first uh, one two games were back on air they didn't know if it was going to be something that was going to continue though waiting to see what the fan reaction was now a few weeks back in it looks like the NBA is back on CCTV at least for now uh, we're into the playoffs. Um, Daryl Morey, uh, for basketball fans, will know he has switched from the Rockets to the 76ers. and so he's still blacklisted. It's so unbelievably petty. It's brilliant in some ways. You got to laugh. It, it, <laughs> I do
1: laugh. I do. I do. I do laugh uh, a little bit. But uh, you know, his team has just is just demolishing my team right now. Yeah. So it's it's kind of difficult. To and laugh because
2: at China hates Daryl Morey, two yeah. and a half years later, they won't show any Sixers games. So it means, hi, you haven't been able to watch. Your Raptors on CCTV. You can still watch them. Stream, there are other ways. streamed online. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're still on Tencent, the other the other um, broadcast partner here. But it's it's unbelievable. So the first game that China had back on on CCTV involved the Clippers, and there was a, a rumor going around <laughs> that uh, Tyron uh, Lu, the the coach of the Clippers, had gone into a bit of a, a Twitter back and forth with daryl maury and he said to maury so well the last time you tweeted mm. you cost the league a billion dollars mm. probably a bit of an exaggeration but it was a significant significant damages uh for from those broadcast rights and so on and so the theory was that people in china were like oh we like this guy He's, he doesn't like maury either so let's get the Clippers on to sort of show how much we like no. we, we like. I mean, hey, who knows? Uh, it's a good theory, but it it might just be true. That's It's m- the kind of petty thing that might have just worked. And that's amazing. Well, as as you know, as some of you might
1: know, the Clippers did crash out of the play-in tournament, so they are not in the playoffs anyway. But, you know, one one thing I noticed today actually is, you know, I I mostly I have a 10 cent uh, NBA uh, subscription, so I've been watching way 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 too much basketball over the last few months. There were two teams that were not shown on the app. There were the Sixers because of Maury and also the Boston Celtics because of Enes Kanter Freedom. Now, Enes Kanter Freedom no longer plays for Boston. But they, you know, for the longest time, they still hadn't,
2: weren't showing the Celtics. But this morning, they were. Yeah. The, I mean, the only, the only kind of theory that I can think of there is that from a Chinese perspective, they would, they would be thinking, well, as a team, you should be able to control your player. And, Mm -hmm. you know, if the player speaks when he was still on the books and, of course, he has since been cut, but he was a Celtics player when he spoke out uh, against the Chinese government and so on, you know, they kind of thinking, well, you didn't punish him or or, or reprimand him or, or just stop him from doing it in the first place. From a Chinese perspective, of course, you could do that. And they wouldn't really got their heads around. Well, that just doesn't work. That doesn't uh, work uh, in el- modern <laughs> <NBA> at <laughs> yeah. all elsewhere. Yeah. So I guess that's why. But you know, obviously, uh, not quite as uh, long a memory there. If, if they're back on a few weeks or f- a few months, I guess it would be uh, not quite not quite as long a, uh, a blacklist as Darren Moore. He's still on it. But I, I mean, and I, I don't see an end to that uh, myself. But w- what did you think of the piece itself? the uh, The Side piece. So yeah, it was. It was it was interesting. Look, the, it was written by the uh, the the Finari brothers, right. who are some of the best investigative reporters. They broke the Balco scandal years and years ago. I remember. I've actually spoken to them a, a couple of times, and and uh, I spoke to, to Mark, one of the brothers, um, sometime last year, kind of about this piece. And they'd done a, a previous piece about the NBA camps. There was one in 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 Xinjiang which had closed. It was nothing actually to do with, with uh, you know, the Uyghur issue and, and, and stuff that's going on in Xinjiang. It was actually, according to the piece, just because it was really badly run. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I, I think that wasn't necessarily what they were expecting when they started that story. I thought it was a, a decent examination from Josai. There wasn't really anything new in it, though, which was kind of a bit disappointing. The one thing for me that was new was, was Dara Mori saying, well, Josai actively worked to get me fired. That was what... That, which, that's what set up for me too. Yeah, which that then sort of denied, or his camp denied. So it's like a kind of a he said he said thing. You know, it, it might be true. Uh, who knows? But um, the rest of it was just kind of like, here is what happened. I thought there was. a... am not going to say that. What are you? What are you not going to say? I was going to say I thought there was a much better analysis in a, in a recent book. Uh, uh, called, oh, <laughs> called, called <laughs> no. Sporting, Sporting Superpower, which was Shameless. which was out a few months ago, and, and really examined the uh, this incident in in. Outstanding detail, <laughs> without, a, without a doubt. No, but you can but, cut that later.
1: <laughs> no, I, no, one thing that stood out to me though, Mark, was was just I remember how angry LeBron James was with with Daryl Morey at the time, and there was this one detail in the in the in the ESPN piece about how he just raged at other players um, after all this happened, and he just wanted the NBA to do something about this.
2: Yeah, I mean, I mean, what I'd heard on that front was that actually he was he was particularly pissed at the league. He was thinking like, if if this was if this was a player who had done this tweet, if this was a player who'd spoken out and caused the league hundreds of millions, you know, according to to to, to Lu, a billion dollars worth of damage, you know, they would be absolutely slaughtered by the league and and penalized and fined and so on. Uh, Maybe that's not the case, but yeah. that was LeBron's point at the time, and he yeah. was like, "Why are we the players?" being pushed in front of the media to answer for the mess of what one of the, the, the GMs has done. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I think LeBron is on, was on a little bit of a... He got a lot of stick, but I yeah. think he had a fair point there. Mm. Uh, it wasn't a player, and it wasn't Maury who was, who was answering and having to face these press conferences. It was other people who were facing the consequences of what, of what Maury did. Uh, and that's separate to, to you know, whether he had a right to, to, to do or not sure. do what he did. But, but yeah, um, LeBron has taken a lot of heat since for, for some of his comments, but uh, he would have rather they didn't have to face those interviews in the first place.
1: Let's get to our guest, Mark. Uh, Greg Squires started the season with Kunlun Red Star, China's only team in the Continental Hockey League. Last December, the team announced some roster changes, which uh, they said was meant to keep the squad as close as possible to China's national team squad that played in the Olympics. That meant Squires and four other players Michael Tam, Crescido, Sammy Hu, and Josh Nichols were released squires then signed with ssk in sweden we caught up with him on the road from
2: detroit to chicago
1: thanks so much for joining us how are you i'm doing great guys how are you guys doing
2: yeah we're good so uh you're on the road greg tell us where you're going from too what's going on
0: so yeah guys i'm going uh from detroit to chicago here um early morning it's 6 a.m eastern time zone um Mm -hmm. Yeah, I got some meetings here. I I help run a medical device company here in the Midwest, so I'm uh I'm pretty busy these days, but that's a good thing, right?
1: It absolutely is. And that is I mean, you couldn't be farther from where you were just about, I don't know, 6 months ago. Yeah. <laughs> so so let's just talk about that a little bit. Let's let's talk about, you know, your stints with the the KHL and and with uh, Kunun Red Star. Uh, first of all, so so can you just Greg? Can you just tell like, give us a sense of like how you first got involved with that team?
0: Back in 2016, um, I was playing in Sweden in the top league um, in the SHL. The 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 uh, the GM at the time, I forgot his his last name, reached out to me and asked me if I was Chinese randomly, and I was like, "Who is this guy? <laughs> <laughs> Who, who's this random guy? Who's this random guy asking about my heritage?" And, like, why does it matter, you know? And um, so he asked for, like, some proof that if I was Chinese, so I sent him some proof. And I had an offer, like, that week. You know, it was unfortunate that I couldn't make it the first year. I was already bound to a contract in Sweden, so I missed the first year of the organization. And then, uh, you know, I came the next year, and I was pretty excited because I heard Mike Keenan was the coach.
2: Now, now, did people know, like, uh, growing up, did did they know you had heritage, or, or it was kind of like, oh, that that guy looks a little bit Asian. <laughs> Let's ask him and find out. Like, <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, I, I don't, I actually I don't know how he found out about me. I'm sure, you know, I'm I'm sure they found Brandon Yip first, and me and Brandon have been friends since I was 15. We've been friends for a long time now, 15 years, and maybe that's how he found out. But yeah, he kind of led off like, hey, I see your playing pro hockey at a high level. Are you Chinese? <laughs> I was like, yeah.
1: So, so in those early days, like, how did, how, what, what were the experiences like uh, with, with, with the team?
0: The experience, the, the experience was wild, I'd say, for all three years. No, we first met in Moscow with the team, and I did not come to Beijing until the end of the first year. We were actually in Shanghai for the second year, because you have to remember the first year was in Beijing, half Beijing, half Shanghai. Second year, third year, we were all in Shanghai, both two years, which was absolutely amazing. I can't say anything like I can't say anything bad about China, man. To be between you and I, like I, I mean, I love China, especially Shanghai. I thought it was an amazing place.
2: And then you had a break. It, was that just because COVID and the team wasn't playing? Like, like, and then you got hooked back up again. Yeah. After playing a little bit more in Europe in the middle, so, well, so talk us through that stage. Yeah, that
0: was kind of a sticky situation. You know, as you probably guys have heard from many people, there's been a lot of sticky situation with this team with hiring and firing guys and. Um you know I got into a little bit of a contract negotiation problem with the GM at the time, um, Scotty McPherson. Um, you know, he's a good dude. I've nothing bad to say about him, but we just had a little disagreement and uh, I missed I missed a year or two of the team and um you know I got called back when the Olympics started to get more serious.
2: Let's talk about the Olympics time. So basically I guess you were you kind of called back with the promise of, right, you're gonna play for Team China at twenty twenty two uh do you want in like is that is that kind of how it came about
0: yeah uh, yeah I mean I I was kind of promised a spot and then when I came down to it um it didn't it didn't really come out to the way they promised so you know it didn't work out for me um again kind of a long story you know they said at first they were going to do pick the best team possible and then you know they be honest they started picking like the native kids who never played for hockey before and uh it kind of pushed some of us out if you could probably see that
1: so so in december yeah the team sent sent out a release um you know that's saying that there are there are five of you right that you know is by mutual decision that, right you know you're leaving the team like how was that how was that communicated to you
0: um that was pretty wild situation again, it was kind of a weird thing. They had us sign these documents saying we were going to give up our American and Canadian passports. I was one of the guys that right away said, no, maybe I sent the wrong kind of message. But, you know, I have a family and a business back home. Um, even though hockey has been my my biggest thing in my career, I wasn't really like willing to risk my family over any kind of, you know, occupation. So, yeah, I just showed up to the rink one day and, you know, they were like, don't get, don't get dressed, go to the GM's office. And they pretty much told me that they were, you know, terminating my contract, they were buying me out. Uh, that They were going to choose like six, I think it was five or six Heritage forwards and then like two of the D. And they let go of some of the guys that, you know, first of all, I've been with the program for a long time. I thought that they'd respect me a little bit more. Um, 33 years old, I've been, I, you know, I have over four, 500 professional games. They got rid of Josh Nichols, who was one of the leading scorers on the team. You know, all because they wanted to get guys with some Chinese last names, and uh, it was pretty upsetting. You know, I I didn't have to c- come back and play. I Came out of retirement to, you know, to come play and do this, and uh, it was kind of a letdown. You know, I was I was kind of upset. I was very upset.
2: If you kind of just look at it from a, from a, um, you know, a wider perspective, right? You know, you start off when the Olympics were were awarded to China and China first had that spot, there weren't any heritage players. And then there were some, and it's kind of been up and down in terms of the different groups of players. Like if you were in charge of team China, like what's the, what's the best mix is, is, is it possible to have a mix of heritage and local players? Um, were, Were the local players in your opinion, good enough to have some on the team um, should they have just said, you know what, we're not good enough. We we need to go with all kind of domestic players. Like, like there's there's lots of different ways they could have balanced right. that. Uh, what right. do you think would have been the best?
0: Absolutely. So from the start, um, you know, where they messed up was they never found a direction. Billy and, you know, China Hockey never had a direction of where they wanted to go with the team. Do we want to develop or do we want to have the best team possible? Or do we want to try to do both? Now, they had a chance to do both because, My first year of the team in Shanghai, we had, like, Rudy Ying was there, a couple, and there was, like, another native Chinese guy. I'm not sure if it was Zanger, um, Zesen, or somebody else, but there are two or three that are good enough. Rudy, Zang, Zesen, and then the the defenseman, Schultze, are definitely the three that are good enough. Now, if they were smart, they would have had them there the first year of the team. They wouldn't have sent Rudy to juniors. They would have let him develop maybe in the VHL, the second league, and they would have held on to all the heritage players, and then we were going to build from there. Um, answering your question, no, those are the only three that are able to play. And even Rudy was too young to play in the KHL at the time. Now he's ready this year or last year to play in the KHL. Yes. If you give him the right opportunity, he is, but he's the only one that was really ready. The rest of them, you know, they're not, they were not ready to play pro hockey. They never played pro hockey before this year or they, and they probably wouldn't have played anywhere pro if it wasn't for this Olympic situation. They could have held on to all the heritage players and they could have just gotten like three or four imports every year from canada like waltech walski and you just pick really good ones and you pay those guys a lot of money instead of going through all these european guys however you had no plans with wasting tons of money and then we were, we didn't get to play because we were getting pushed back in the lineup we were getting sat it was a it was a crazy crazy way of them doing things they really messed it up and in the end look at their result They 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 did okay not really great, to be honest. I think they think they did well, but they didn't. They could have done way better from for the talent that we had and the money they spent. Very disappointing.
2: We, we obviously, it was kind of a model that Korea had followed um, four years previously at the, the, the 2008 Olympics, right? With, with some uh, sort of foreign recruits bolstering some of the, the, the domestic players that they had. Um, right. How much of, and, and, and I think a lot of the lineups, you know, you've alluded to, to it, there were sort of political decisions there probably not just, you know, from probably even above the sporting system in terms of there's a lot of uh, face involved and and political decisions. As you said, uh, what is that? what are the surnames and what are the backgrounds of the players involved? So how much were you kind of aware of that within the team?
0: Oh, very aware, especially towards the end. I definitely, towards the end, I really understood it was more about optics than was about performance. Um, It was frustrating. Even during the year, Ivano... First of all, I think Ivano's a great coach. Um, I love Ivano. I think he's a really good person and a really good coach for this position. We, we wasted so many coaches that didn't care about China hockey and, or even just about the heritage guys. They just wanted to like up their resumes, right? So Ivano was great, but even he had a hard job because the Chinese staff was telling him who to put in the lineup after the beginning of December. That whole month was like an absolute disaster. They, they like, I was, I didn't miss a game all year. I was steadily, steadily third, fourth line guy um provide a stability for the team in the lineup and then towards the end he didn't have to charge the lineup the chinese association was telling him, oh we would need to play the the uh native guys more you know sit guys so there was like two or three of us heritage guys getting sat every night just because they wanted to get those guys games you know for optics and iwhf and china hockey um so i was definitely aware of politically what was going on um now i never really understood why sports and politics had to be mixed you know i'm not a I, I I don't understand that I, I'm always – I'm kind of a, like a old school in my mind that athletics is about competition, about putting your best foot forward and your best team forward. It doesn't matter about the last names. You know, even though I'm not a mainlander, I am Chinese. My mom was born in China. Um, I feel like I'm Chinese, and they kind of made me feel like I wasn't. You do you guys understand that a bit, or is that confusing?
2: <laughs> no, no, no. That, that makes total sense. I mean, we – I think – you know we saw the whole range of, of different players there, were, there was you know there was there was a Russian guy with with no heritage whatsoever, and then there were people who were who were kind of partly Chinese and half chinese and 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 then you know someone like uh, Tyler Schultz, you know he he's, he's, he's you would refer to him as one of the native players, but he's you know he's he's kind of grown up in in Canada as well, but has that kind of connection through his family and and, and then of course domestic. so there's really everyone I think across the spectrum. so there's no way to kind of pigeonhole. Uh, players but one of the things Rudy was telling us last week is that the players kind of just divided into those two big buckets of groups right was that your experience and, and and like like did it feel like it was them and us um or was it just kind of like you know we're yeah. just hanging out with yeah. different people I, I, absolutely that's
0: the way it was and I, and it wasn't anyone's fault they just divided us like I don't even know why Schultze was a part of them maybe because he spoke Chinese they separated like Rudy, who was kind of like in the middle of everything because he knew all of us because he's been around for a long time. Um, and then there was the Chinese guys and some of them didn't speak great English. So there's a lot of communication barriers. Yeah, they had their own separate meetings and we did. And in the beginning, we kind of separated from them in, in a way, not knowing because they, you know, you know, coach, no offense. Coach wanted to play the best players and Rudy wasn't even in that in that top forwards yet. He didn't even really make the team to be honest until the Chinese as so came in and started demanding, you know, guys playing. So there's only one or two guys that were playing. It was Zhang Zisen and this guy Peter Zhang that were the only ones really playing in the beginning. And then as the Chinese stepped in, and then they started to play and then the, we started to mesh with them towards the end when they kind of forced us to. And we all got along though. There wasn't any big problems, you know?
1: Yeah, Greg, you had, diff- you had separate meetings from the other players?
0: Oh, absolutely. The Chinese Hockey Association had their own like Meetings about what was going on, we didn't know what they were being told, and it was really weird like they'd have their own little meeting rooms in the hotel that we stayed at at the barracks in uh in moscow we We had no idea what was going on with them
2: yeah that's that's wild that's amazing <laughs> i i mean one of the things i want to ask you and and you know i've we we've sort of been in touch with with some of the players on the in the camp, but also with the with the women's team as well and and some of the heritage players in similar situations. Was it your understanding that, like, there was, in terms of the the papers necessary, the paperwork necessary to kind of get people into the Team China camp, whether it was from China's point of view, whether it was the Olympics, whether it was the IIHF, you know, was it kind of like a, a constantly changing situation in terms of, you must sign this, and then people refuse, right. and so there's, like, a different offer, and it was, was there a lot of negotiation just constantly going back and forth?
0: Oh, yeah, I mean, we were always in constant... Co- like communication with the girls team like you know we stayed at the same hotel you know like we saw each other lobby and they were trying they were like trying to separate them from us but like you know we're all north americans and like we're gonna stay in connection with each other like we speak the same language there's a little bit of like you know it's the same with chinese guys i mean let's be honest we all have a little bit of like you know like connection with our countrymen like and they tried to separate us and have us not talk, and it was so obvious. So we, of course, we like kept in contact of what was going on, and yeah, the girls got completely different information than we did, and then we'd share it and be like, "What's going on?" Yeah, like after you know, the the beginning was really fun, and then from like the end of October to November, December, it w- it just got like so confusing and paperwork and lockdowns, or or like COVID suddenly COVID rules out of nowhere, and we weren't allowed to leave or something like that. It was. It was strange, man. I, I I don't know.
2: Like Did did different people sign different deals?
0: Yeah, the girls had different like deals than we did. And then, you know, Victor Bartley got asked Victor Bartley asked for some kind of paper, like, you know, seeing like what happens if we get stuck in China so we give our passport. And then they gave him a separate paper, didn't give us that paper, but he shared it with us so we saw the paper. And we were like, What? Like the deal, it was crazy. So we were all thinking like, okay, so they actually are ready for If something happens if we get stuck in stuck in China after Olympics are giving up my passport. It was guys, it was so stressful for a long time. You have to remember like Bart and I at the time haven't seen our families for like four months. We both have kids. Um, you know, they're a little bit out of touch, this Kunlun in China with when it comes to like families and how it works. And at the time. I was, me and Barts were the only one that were even really married with kids. Everyone else was was pretty much single. And if they were married, like, okay, they were married, but they were adults away from each other. It's a little different, you know, when you have kids. So I personally was the only one for most of the time being with Kooli that had a kid and I, I did not get treated really well. Like you would think from like 2022, like kind of like standards of, standards of humanely how to treat people. I mean, I came into this organization Being one of the leading scores of my team in Sweden, I thought that I would get like a really good opportunity and I really never got a fair look like like the whole you could tell by my stats being in the KHL is the only time that I haven't produced really. And it's because I never got a chance because either I didn't have an an NHL background or my my name wasn't right. You know, whatever. They paid me well.
1: Greg, by the time you left then, like was 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 there any part of you that was just sort of relieved?
0: Uh, Yeah, Absolutely. You know, when you're away from your family that much, especially because I retired before that and I was coming out of retirement, I was really like, after I got kind of fired there, terminated, I was just looking at kind of like my life and what I wanted. And honestly, I was okay with it. I wanted to go to the Olympics, but if that's not a, if that wasn't a possibility that I need to get home to my family. So I was really relieved. Although you gotta, you know, I'm sure you guys understand this. A lot of these guys have been like my family, like me and Yipper and Kaner, um, Nichols Lockhart, um, we we're, were like a family. We're like a brotherhood, um, and even with these these new guys that came in towards the end, like the, the food brothers and Wonger and Sprawl and Chelios, but well, we're all like we're like serious buddies, you know. So that was kind of sad. We had a lot of good times in Moscow and on the road, and I do miss them, and I still miss them to this day. Um, we talk all the time, but yeah, I was relieved to go home and get, get out of that political nightmare and um, and all the the shifting of powers, because it does leak down on a team when because everyone feels it, you know.
2: What were your emotions when you watched the team play at the Olympics?
0: I, I was super happy for them. I, I have nothing but love. I don't hold resentment towards anyone, even though it was a miserable past couple of months with Kulun. Um, I have nothing but positive vibes for the team and the guys because we all went through so much together that those guys deserve to compete and to be seen, and to follow through with what the original plan was. And it was honestly amazing, man. I, I was so pumped to see it. I was so proud of them. They played great. And yeah, man, nothing but love.
1: Greg, when we talked to Rudy last week, he was not optimistic about the future direction of the team at all, or of, the Ch- of Chinese hockey at all. Can you point to any positives at all?
0: No, I kind of agree with Rudy because they don't really care about development. They don't really know how to develop. I mean, all the guys they have developing were American and Canadian guys, and then they just keep firing everyone. Like, look at Dan Reha, like our skills coach. He did a great job. He's with these Chinese guys all year. They bring him to the Olympics, and then they, and then they don't re-up his contract for him to be in Italy right now uh, to get ready for, to, for world championship games. They just don't have a steady, like, ever a steady kind of concrete – system for these guys um with the, with with political things going on now where are these chinese guys going to play i mean they can't play anywhere that's not coolin red star because they can't they can't make any other professional league guys i mean i'm 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 telling you guys the truth when they're not good enough i mean and rudy rudy has chosen to kind of be on that chinese side when he could have you know Opted the other way and go to college and do try to go professional in North America or try to go over Europe, but he's kind of stayed on the Chinese side, and that's kind of going to be a setback for him in his career because I don't think he has the visibility or the resume to go play anywhere in pro hockey. So, besides the heritage guys, these the the the, the future of what they're trying to do doesn't look good, especially right now with the KHL and the visa situation. There's no way for these guys to go over to Russia and play because of because of what's going on now in in, in this obvious elephant in the room called the war <laughs>
2: yeah um just let me take you uh, ask you to go back to kind of your earlier seasons you know my perspective is that rudy talked about the the pipeline that was lacking in china it was like there's just no pipeline of players i would sort of say that that after china was was awarded the olympics in 2015 you know anecdotally you did see more people more kids i mean a younger player not that you would have been playing with them you're know, much much younger um it did seem like there were more players playing hockey. It did seem like a lot of parents were always posting about, you know, taking their kids to the rink. Of course, not in North American type numbers, but much better than it was. So it did sort of feel that, that, you know, there was some, some positives, like there should be some sort of pipeline. Did you have any interaction with kind of, you know, like kids and, and, and um, interacting with fans or, or, or that side of things outside of the professional life?
0: um no so that's what they did wrong i mean we had some fans a little bit in shanghai and we did some autograph signings a bit but they never had us out there they never never had even during COVID or something whatever like why don't we do any podcasts like we're doing now or have any shows or commercials or brand marketing or like listen i have like a communication and sales background i understand what it what outreach means and connectivity and they never did that as much as the sport did spread they did a good job with that Um, They could have done way better with, you know, trying to get the players to be kind of idolized like they do in the NBA or the NHL or the NFL um, or even the CBA. You know, the Chinese Basketball Association has done a great job from where they've come. And I think that's what they tried to do here, but they just had guys that didn't know anything about hockey. Um, We should have done more of that. Like you speak, that's a really good point that you bring up. I didn't ever thought about that. That's but we did. None of that
2: yeah it was kind of frustrating for for for, for me at least here in beijing i uh, like you know i saw a few of the games that very first season the crowds were actually pretty good and then of course you know there was a there was i think it was an arena issue and they 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 right. shipped everyone down to shanghai and and the 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 arena there was tiny right like how do you build a fan base <laughs> when you're yeah. constantly playing in different cities right. you know there's no um but that happens. You see that in in Chinese soccer with with you know franchises constantly getting renamed or relocated, and and so like you said, the the marketing was was tricky. Let me ask you another question. Um, mm-hmm. the women's team seemed to have had you know a fair amount of success. Like they they didn't kind of quite get through in in the group in the in the Olympics, but they got a couple of wins. Um, they just I'm sure you saw got promoted out of their group in the, in the world championships in Poland, so they'll be playing in the in the sort of the, the higher division next time around. Uh, they've obviously got they've found a balance between uh, I think you know the heritage players and and some of the local players as well. What's yeah, your take on on perhaps why they've had more success
0: but, but did they find a balance? Like, did you guys actually look on who played during those women's teams? And they're, they're all heritage. They're all heritage players. All those girls came right out of college that have Chinese backgrounds and they let them play. They actually played. They had, there were three lines of those girls. And then the couple of the Chinese girls that were on D played, but that was all heritage. If they did that from the start with us and they got like me, Yipper, Kaner. Lockhart, all these guys right away, they got Wonger out of the American League and flew out of the American League right away, and we played, we would, have done, we would have done way better in the KHL, and we would have done way better in international competition. Like, they were forced to play the Chinese guys more, and um, I think that's why the, the women's team did better. Those girls played all year long, all the time. Like, they kept messing with the Heritage, with like half of the Heritage guys all year long.
2: Yeah, no, that's a good point. I mean, I did see, you know, like you said, there was a, a couple of the, the, the more veteran Chinese players on on D who, who played in the World Championships. And, and, you know, they're actually going back to Vancouver Olympics. I think they would played there, um, like uh, Liu Jixin and, and a couple of the others. But yeah, you're right. The, the, the balance was perhaps... Do, is your sense then that, that they had a little bit more freedom um, from the coaching perspective in terms of assembling the roster and, and crucially, ice time?
0: Yeah, absolutely. They had a little bit more freedom. I don't think the, they, they didn't have as much eyes on them as, as we did. I mean, Ivano got scrutinized after every game if he didn't play a, guys a certain amount of time. And he would get, you know, controlled by them. And, you know, Coach Adolski, look what's going on. Kunlun Red Star, the Vanky team, they're all like imports. They're not even there's like maybe three Chinese people on the team now that have heritage that are playing in the actual VHL.
2: The the whole makeup of the of the the women's Russian team uh, the women's team in Russia right now it just seems a bit bizarre like there's Finns there's Swedes there's yeah. there's like a lot of imports but non heritage like what is the point of playing those players like what are they going to do for Chinese hockey either now or or further down the line but, I don't yeah, really get it see, at all. see that's
0: not for, exactly that's not for China that's just to win and that's why they never could they never did that with our team like are we trying to win so they got like. My first year in Shanghai, we had like eight Canadian or European forwards. And then we had me, Kane or Yipper and Lockhart were the only ones that played out of the Heritage guys. So it's like, what are we trying to do here? You know, and then so that's the same thing with Vanky. And I don't know what's going on with these girls, what they're going to do. Like, are, you, are they going back to college? Are they are they trying to play pro hockey? If they're going to screw these girls over, taking them out of college Yeah, they get to play in the world championships, and that's really cool. They're not getting paid for all this, and if 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 they are, not much. They they're not going to play on banky because Brian is not going to pick them. He's going to pick the best players possible around the around like for the girls for the around the country or the world. You know, it's just what they're going to do what they're going to do.
1: Greg, you've already talked about a lot of pretty crazy things that happened during your time with the team. But if you could pinpoint one thing, what was like, what stands out? What is the just craziest thing that you experienced or saw in your time with KRS?
0: <laughs> oh, guys, I, that is such a crazy question, guys. You don't understand how much fun we had on the road um, together as a team or living in Shanghai. We had some crazy things happen from like rinks, like, dropping, like screws and stuff from the roof on the ice where we couldn't practice and coach Keenan was like yelling at these guys and they don't understand cause they don't speak English. And the Zambonis, you know, going over and freezing over these, these like bolts onto the ice. And we're like tripping and falling. And middle. we had like cones in the middle of the ice. Like, like we couldn't even practice the right way because there's like frozen bolts and screws from the roof or from the Megatron that was being held. We thought that like the whole, we thought the whole screen was going to fall on us. It, I mean, it, from there to like, you know, traveling till there's one, there's one road trip, guys. I mean, this is amazing. We're leaving Moscow out of this small airport. We make it three hours into the trip. We're, all, we're like halfway to like Siberia, Novosibirsk, and the, the plane staff, the stewardess, they never, they never checked in their passports leaving Moscow. So we had to turn back all so they can no. go back, through <laughs> all back so they can go back through customs and get stamped. I mean, it was oh. guys, it was unbelievable. Like a, like a nine and a half hour flight turned into like 13 and a half, you know, cause then we had to stop in Novosibirsk and gas up and they had to take a break cause they were flying for, you know, nine hours at this point. Um, it was, it was insane. It was insane. We were, the boys were going crazy on the plane. Good thing we had some line and we made the best of it,
1: <laughs> which we usually did. Greg, one Mike Keenan story. Can you give us one?
0: Oh, God, guys, I have so many, but I have a really good one that I was thinking about. It was a personal one. Uh, we come off a big win um, and we are we are flying into Sochi. And you know how it works in the KHLs? After the game, you fly, no matter what, to the next city, you know, because you're on a road trip. So after the game, we won, we're flying, we land in Riga. It was late in the morning. We had two days in between the game and it was like maybe like I want to say like one in the morning or two in the morning and he goes, he comes down the bus, he walks down the bus, you know you know, Keenan. he's kind of like has this vibe about him, and he's kind of intimidating, but you could tell he's had a couple sodas and he grabs and he rubs my ear, it was so strange, he rubs my ear and looks down and I'm sitting in the middle between, between the bus and he rubs my ear and he goes, hey boys, Squeaky one to four a.m. curfew. What do you say? And everyone's like, Yeah. And he's like, Alright, have a good night tonight. Be safe. And like walks down to them So we had we like we went out. We're all together. We're downtown Riga. It's like two in the morning. We're all going to the bars, or whatever, and we see Keenan and Carpenter. And they they see us in the middle of the street and they're walking towards us and they're hey guys, Starbucks the other way. <laughs> and it was uh it was uh it was pretty funny, man. It was a good night and uh you can say whatever you want about Keenan and 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 what he was, but he always treated me great. Um, he was great off the ice to me. Hard guy to play for, but um, you know he's a good person.
1: After KRS, you you landed at uh, SSK in Sweden. How did that go? Like, was that was that a good landing for you? Was that a good place for you? And will you be there next year?
0: Um, yeah. So no, I, I'm retiring again. I'm done. I'm done for good now. I think I got I got hockey out of my system. I've got no offense. I mean, way more important things to do than, than play hockey right now. I, you know, I have a good job here. I have a good position. I have a good career, uh, a good a path. But uh, so SSK happened. I I knew the, you know, one of the um, guys in the, in the organization, Nicholas Grossman, I played with him in Sweden. He had a long career in the NHL, played for the Flyers and he was their strength coach and asked wanted to come. They were in a bad situation. They were the last place team in the Swedish league and they just needed some you know, to help avoid relegation, I came into a t- tough situation. You know, I, you know, they weren't doing very well. It was, a, they were, like I said, the last place team, the vibes were down. I tried to come in and just try to provide a little bit of energy and come in and have some fun. And I knew it was my last couple of games playing. So I just went in honestly with an attitude of, I'm going to enjoy this last month of hockey and, you know, enjoy the everyday going to the locker room and practice and playing and, you know, hanging out with the guys before I have to go back to, you know, to the real world. So that, that was what that that was it about. It was a great great time. I have a lot of love for Sweden as a country. My son was born there, and um, I spent a lot of time a lot of time there. Uh, so that's what that was about. But no, I'm done. Uh, I'm back off to the real world, and you know, I I have to say it's it's been good to me so
2: far. Greg, it's been a lot of fun talking with you. Before we let you go, I have one question for you. If there was one thing you could change about Chinese hockey, big or small. What would it be?
0: I think it would be a collaboration with some of the players, and to maybe ask, since we have so much experience, like Brandon Yip, and and even guys like Bartley and Fu and me and Sprawl and Chelio, maybe they would maybe ask us what the best thing is to do. Is I don't I never understood um, at the beginning of the organization, you had guys that were thirty years old. I was thirty years old. Um, Yipper was like thirty four. Maybe ask us for some direction. I mean. We're not doing it for ourselves. We, you know, Of course, the contracts and money was good, but we are doing it for a path and for what we believed in as, as Chinese heritage people. We, we have pride. And maybe if they asked us for some direction and some help of what we should be doing when it comes to like how we going to design the team, do we trying to get better, um, reaching out to players, logistics of, of, of the years, logistics of the summer camps, maybe just communication, I think this would have all went so much better if they just consulted in us more because we have so much experience. Um, they just left us in the dark all the time. Even Yipper being the captain, he had to dig to find things out when they should have been asking for us for help.
1: Greg, I think that's a great place to leave it. Really appreciate taking the time to talking to us. I think that was just fantastic. So thank you so much.
0: Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. And Anytime. Give me a call, man. I'm around.
1: we well, Will do. All right. Cheers. Thanks. Thanks well that's the show this week thanks again to greg squires mark what what's on your radar this week
2: well it's f1 season and china's Zhou guanyu is going to be racing in italy this week and speaking of china's Zhou guanyu and the china sports insider podcast might have some uh interesting news to announce in the near future
1: that's something that i'm looking forward to the news that is let's see let's (laughs) see what happens let's see what happens Um, until then we will be back next week thank you so much for listening talk to you soon